Hi, my name is Chris. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. If we haven't met yet, I'm Caroline Carpenter, and I look forward to the day that we do get to meet. I want to invite you to our Sunday watch party that happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. over Zoom. I've absolutely loved joining in on the watch parties and getting to talk to people about the message, about our weeks, and just anything that comes up. Um, I will be honest that there are very few things that I wake up early for, but the watch party makes it worth it every single time. So you can find the Zoom info for that on our website at lovechapelhill.com. I hope to see you there. Hey everyone, this is Val from the Connections team asking you to please fill out a virtual connect card so we can get in touch with you and you can get in touch with us to learn more about Love Chapel Hill and how we can connect with you. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Maddie and I get to tell you about Quest Kids. Quest Kids is our children's ministry and throughout this time of worshiping at home, we've been having weekly Zoom meetings Sundays at 10 a.m. And we are in search of and in need of volunteers. I know another Zoom meeting might feel like a hard sell right now, but let me tell you, this is not like any other Zoom meeting you're going to. You get to hang out with about 15 engaged, insightful, and hilarious kids, and you get to spend time doing fun things like scavenger hunts and games, and of course, reading from and learning from God's Word. It's been such a powerful and joyful time of connection for all of us, and I really encourage you to reach out if you're interested. It doesn't matter if you're someone who has volunteered in person in the past who wants to reconnect or you're looking to do this for the first time. We would love to hear from you. There's two ways that you can reach out to connect. One is going to our church's main webpage, lovechapelhill.com, and scrolling a bit down on that first screen, you'll see a spot to reach out or to apply to be a volunteer. Or you can look at the connect card link at the bottom of this video and fill that out and just express your interest in the children's ministry or Quest Kids there. We are really excited to hear from you and looking forward to working with you. This is my simple song of love, a simple song of love. This is a simple song of love my heart to yours this is a simple song of love a simple song of love this is a simple song of love from my heart to yours this is a simple song of love a simple song of love this is a simple song of love my heart to yours this is a simple song of love a simple song of love this is a simple song of love from my heart to yours i came here today simply to say how much I love you, I came here today, simply to say how much I love you. This is a simple song of love, a simple song of love, 
A simple song of love from my heart to yours. This is a simple song of love. A simple song of love. This is a simple song of love from my heart to yours. I came here today. I simply to say how much I love you. I came here today. Simply to say how much I love you. I came here today. Simply to say how much I love you. I came here today. Simply to say how much I love you. I will not give myself to any other. Come and take the place of every other lover. All I want is you. I will not give myself to any other. Come and take the place of every other lover. All I want is you. I will not give myself to any other. Come and take the place of every other lover. All I want is you. I will not give myself to any other. Come and take the place of every other lover. All I want is you. All I want is you. This is a simple song of love. A simple song of love. This is my simple song of love. From my heart to yours. This is a simple song of love. A simple song of love. This is my simple song of love from my heart to yours. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Uh, we have an update to share today uh, that is difficult even for us to say. Um, but Pastor April has felt over the last several months this discerning that the Lord is leading her to step away from her role uh, as family life pastor here at Love Chapel Hill. Um, even saying those words uh, brings a range of emotions uh, from sadness for our loss as a church um, to deep gratitude, which is even more so and more important. The deep gratitude that we have for her uh, and the way that she has poured her heart and soul and love and care into that role over the last 11 years. Uh, we are so deeply grateful for the way that she has poured into our children, um, for the way that she has led on this church staff team, uh, for her friendship, for her love through this 
time. She's been with us since the very beginning of this church, and we will never be able to adequately thank her for everything that she has done. Uh, but we wanted to have her uh, express that to us today. Uh, so she's going to share that with us and um, please be praying for her and for her family. Um, and uh, yeah, pause and thank God for everything that she has brought to this church family. Hello, Love Chapel Hill family. This weekend marks the beginning of the spring season. My daughter Sophia and I were noticing the signs of spring and discussing how generally everyone has a favorite season one they look forward to the most, that they enjoy and are sad to see go. Um, she said something that resonated with me. She said she doesn't just have one favorite season, but she loves the beginning of each one, the newness of it. And the Lord really spoke to me through her perspective of seeing the beauty that each new season will hold. Personally, in my life, seasons have been changing. And I'm embracing the truth that God has beautiful plans in store for the approaching season. The Lord has richly blessed me far more than I imagined or deserved in the past 11 years serving as family life pastor. It has grieved me deeply as the Lord made clear that He was leading me to step back. It's been one of the greatest honors of my life to serve, be family, fellowship, worship, and grow with you all. And I am so grateful for your friendship, your trust, and the support and love that you have shown my family. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And I do see it. I see him at work and the amazing leaders already serving in the family ministry. And I am so grateful because of his goodness, his faithfulness, his love and grace. I am hope-filled for the beautiful things that he has in store. I trust and rest in the one that holds us all. Thank you, Love Chapel Hill family. I love you all dearly.
Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. We are on this 40-day journey towards the cross, walking with Jesus towards the cross. The cross is coming more and more into view. And as that is happening, we sense the story accelerating. Uh, we can sense the opposition building against Jesus, even as the actions of Jesus uh, continue to expand and increase. And so <clears throat> we get this moment uh, of feeling like the plot is thickening. And at the same time, as we'll see today, uh, the grace is deepening and the kingdom is expanding through these actions of Jesus. And so last week uh, we went through Matthew chapter nine, uh, but we ended in Matthew chapter 11 uh, with this moment of John the Baptist being in prison uh, and sending his disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one that we have been waiting for? And so that's where we're going to start today. Pick it back up in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses two through six. And this question that comes to Jesus uh, from John the Baptist by way of his disciples. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. So we get this report that is sent back to John the Baptist, all of the signs that the people are seeing and hearing of the reality of the kingdom breaking in and that Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for. They're not waiting for someone else. This is the one. Uh, and Jesus specifically draws on this imagery uh, throughout the prophet Isaiah, which would have connected deeply to John the Baptist and his understanding of his own mission in preparing the way, a voice of one calling in the desert, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Plus in this answer, we also get one more beatitude, so to speak, uh, one more blessed statement that Jesus makes. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. 
Blessed are those who see these things. Blessed are those who have their categories dismantled of the way that they had understood the word, the world before, how they understand God. Uh, and yet when they see God in action, they are uh, they have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and to recognize this deep in their spirits. Uh, blessed are those who experience uh, the pruning that comes from life in the vine and growing the fruit of the spirit in our lives. But when we experience that hard pruning that comes and the cutting back um, that comes with that, we don't give up and we don't walk away, but we embrace that as part of this journey of growth as well. Blessed are those who embrace surrender. Yes, who long for the abundant life that Jesus promised, but also are willing to lay down our lives and take up the cross. This is who John the Baptist is. Uh, and Jesus says that. Jesus, as the disciples go away to take that message back to John the Baptist, he says, who was it that you went out into the wilderness to see? What did you go looking for out there in the desert? A reed that is swayed by the wind? No. Uh, a person who's dressed in fine clothes? No, people who are dressed in fine clothes are found in king's palaces, Jesus said. But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, he says, and more than that. So Jesus is answering this question and at the same time honoring John the Baptist. But where we are today, as we see the story accelerating, we move from this moment in the story where John the Baptist is simply in prison to the tragic moment where John the Baptist is executed by King Herod. So we're going to be in Matthew chapters 14 and 15 for the rest of the day together uh, as we see this story uh, moving quickly forward. And so we're going to look specifically at five stories today in this chapter, uh, starting with John the Baptist being executed uh, and then Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then Jesus walking on the water and Peter going out to meet him on the water. Then we have this controversial story of the Canaanite woman. We'll get into that. And then finally, Jesus feeding 4,000 people uh, to, to wrap that up. And so that's where we're going to be today. We're going to start um, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. We get this story of this heartbreaking story of the execution of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist is not only the pioneer, the forerunner, the trailblazer for the ministry of Jesus. He's also Jesus's cousin. Uh, and so there's so much connection here. And we see the way that this tragedy affects Jesus. Uh, it starts at Herod's feast. And so King Herod, um, who is the son of the King Herod, who tried to put Jesus to death when Jesus was just a baby um, earlier in this same gospel. Now that King Herod's son uh, is at it again. He's throwing this feast um, and in this extremely twisted way that involves um, uh, sexual exploitation and all of this, this difficult uh, topic here, um, he ends up ordering the execution of John the Baptist. 
Uh, he sees John the Baptist as an enemy who has publicly critiqued him uh, for basically stealing his own brother's wife and taking her as his own wife. John the Baptist calls that out. That's why he ends up in prison. Uh, and now we get this tragic ending to the life of John the Baptist where King Herod orders his execution and orders his head to be brought into this feast and this party to bring John the Baptist's head in on a platter. A tragic moment and a tragic ending to this sacred life, a denial and rejection of the dignity of this person who had been set apart by God as a prophet. And his life comes to, to an end in this gruesome act of violence, this self-serving act of violence on the part of King Herod. It's a, it's a picture of his abusive power at work. Uh, we've talked about this before, but all the way throughout the sweep of scripture, uh, we can see the anatomy of oppression at work. And the anatomy of oppression works like this. Uh, fear drives the misuse of power. All of the time we see leaders in these places of power and yet they're consumed by fear of losing that power or having that power challenged. And so fear drives the misuse of power and we see that right here. The anatomy of freedom on the other hand in the way that God's kingdom operates says not that fear drives the misuse of power but that perfect love drives out fear. And so we get this picture of Herod um, acting out of this self-centered, abusive power and the life of this prophet coming to a gruesome end. This strikes Jesus in the heart. Uh, he is heartbroken over this. And it says that Jesus retreats away. And in this moment, we see Jesus modeling what mourning looks like and the reality of mourning and the reality of this response to tragedy and to trauma and to loss. And God himself experiences that. And he retreats away in this time of mourning. He also in this is modeling rest for us. Multiple times throughout these two chapters, we see Jesus retreating away. It's not only uh, after a time of trauma and tragedy, uh, but it's also after a time of exhilarating ministry. After feeding 5,000, he does the same thing again. He retreats away. And so he's modeling what mourning looks like for us, but he's also modeling what rest looks like. And the fact that the ministry of Jesus is this overflow out of a deep well of intimacy with the Father and the Spirit. And that's what Jesus is operating out of in his ministry. So while Jesus is uh, retreating away, it says that uh, the people heard that he was there and they came and found him. Even though he had gone away to a solitary place, they came and they found him. They wanted to be around Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 13 through 21, uh, we get what leads up to the moment of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so put this um, in contrast to what we just saw from this feast uh, that Herod is hosting. Okay, we've got, instead we've got this feast that Jesus is about 
to put on. Uh, and out of his compassion for the people uh, who are tired, who are hungry, who have been there to see Jesus. Now they're in this remote, solitary place. They've got nowhere to find food. Uh, and Jesus tells his disciples, you provide for them. You find something for them to eat. He invites his disciples into this moment that becomes this miracle of where they bring to him five loaves and two fish. And Jesus turns that into this feast of abundance. He multiplies that so that everyone who is there is able to eat. Uh, everyone who is tired and hungry gets served by Jesus in this moment, even to the point that there's this abundance and overflow and 12 baskets full of leftovers are collected at the end. And we see this contrast between the feast that Jesus is hosting and the feast that Herod was hosting and these two kingdoms and these two ways of leadership and these two uh, ways of operating in power in direct contrast to each other. In Herod's feast, the head of his enemy is brought on a platter. But in the feast that Jesus hosts, bread and fish in abundance are brought for those who are tired and hungry. It's his compassion is overflowing in this action. And that's what his kingship looks like. That's what his power looks like on display. That's what his reign looks like in action and you see this direct contrast. Once again, in this miracle, um, as we see all the way throughout all of the gospels, uh, we have these very physical miracles <clears throat> reminding us that Christianity is a very physical faith in the sense that it's this holistic faith. Uh, it's not only a faith that focuses on the heart and the soul, but it also focuses on the mind and the body as well. It's this holistic faith. It doesn't isolate the heart and soul away from the rest of the reality of who we are. It's not isolation. Instead, it's integration of all of who we are. And so we see Jesus, obviously he ministers to the heart and to the soul, but he's also in the overflow of his compassion, taking direct action to feed in a very physical way the tired and the hungry who are all around him. It's this God who comes in flesh and blood into his creation, not to reject creation, but to redeem it. And this God of flesh and blood ends up serving not just heart and soul, but he's serving bread and fish to the people who are tired and hungry with 12 baskets full left over in abundance. So we've got those two stories that we've seen so far. Um, the tragic execution of John the Baptist, followed by the feeding of the 5,000. Next, we get this story of Jesus walking on water uh, and Peter walking with him. That's found in uh, Matthew chapter 14, uh, 22 through 33. Uh, right after the feeding, Jesus retreats away. Again, uh, his disciples are crossing over the lake. It's taking them all night because of the wind and the waves that are pushing against the boat. They are getting nowhere. And in the midst of this, Jesus comes walking to them, uh, coming to their aid uh, out on the lake. He's walking on the water. 
they, at first they think he's a ghost and they completely uh, freak out over that. Uh, but Peter recognizes him and he says, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come to you out on the water. And Jesus simply answers, come. And Peter does. He gets out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus. At, at a moment there, he is distracted by the wind, by the waves. He begins to sink. Jesus reaches out and rescues him and pulls him up and says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? All right, so we are working our way through these five stories. We've got the uh, tragic execution of John the Baptist. We've got Jesus feeding the 5,000. We've got Peter walking with Jesus on the water. And now we come to this controversial moment uh, involving this woman who's simply identified as a Canaanite woman. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 21 through 28. And we're going to read that uh, together. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, this is obviously a deeply controversial passage. Uh, people often point to this as a, as a passage that they find not only confusing, but disturbing to see Jesus interact in this kind of way with this woman, to hear these words from Jesus in the mouth of Jesus, it just seems completely uh, out of alignment with what we know about him. Uh, and there's so much difficulty around this. We've addressed this passage a couple of times before. If you want to get more into that, feel free to reach out to me and I can direct you to that. Um, but this is a passage that we need to lean into. And so when we come up against something that we find controversial, uh, that we find confusing, that we find disturbing, our first reaction might be to just pass by it and try to go to the next thing that makes us feel better about that uh, and ignore that. But what we really need to do is see this as an invitation to lean in when we don't have understanding. That is an invitation to understand to ask Jesus to teach us, to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into the understanding that we don't currently have. It's an invitation into growth. And I think that's what's available for us in this passage. A few things that shed light on this for us. Uh, the fact that this is taking place in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, to the 
Jewish people, and remember, Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. That's the, the mind frame that he's coming from. Um, and, and so that's, he's writing to that group of people with an established history, uh, with a deep sense of rootedness in this ancient story. And so just the mention of this vicinity, just the mention of this location brings to mind, um, rich prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we see the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zechariah, all of them speaking against this region, calling out Tyre and Sidon, speaking the judgment of God against them for being uh, this place of evil. Uh, out of this place, Two of Israel's greatest enemies end up coming uh, from Tyre and Sidon, um, Jezebel and Athaliah, uh, who end up doing so much damage uh, to the people of Israel. So just those two words, the names of, of that vicinity uh, immediately bring to mind an enemy for the Jewish people and a lot of history to back that up. Now take into account the fact that this woman is simply identified as a Canaanite woman. Uh, that might not stand out as odd to us until we start doing a little bit of digging and we realize that this is the only time in the entire New Testament that that word is used for anyone, that that designation is used. Uh, a Cana the Canaanites are not mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, that is an, an echo from the Hebrew Bible from the Old Testament that brings into this moment all of this history and all of this background. And to the Jewish people, they saw the Canaanites as an enemy, as people who were literally on the outside of the promise of God. So that's some of the background that's swirling around here which means that when we hear these words that Jesus says to her and about her, they would not have been controversial at all to the disciples who heard him say that. Uh, they are to us. They strike us as completely out of place. They would have sounded completely in place to the disciples because those were the thoughts that they had themselves. Now, does that excuse what Jesus said? No, we've got to keep pressing and we've got to keep pushing. What we see here is Jesus putting in front of them, most likely what we see here is Jesus putting in front of them the common attitude. And for us, when we say that just sounds out of place in the mouth of Jesus, Jesus is saying exactly, exactly. And he's holding up a mirror to us and to his disciples, and he's saying, this is what you sound like. When you speak that way about people, when you press them to the outside, this is what you sound like. Does it seem out of alignment with everything else that we know about Jesus? Yes. So let's not take this one moment and use it to discredit everything else that we know about Jesus. Instead, another way to help us understand the scripture, take everything that we know about Jesus and use that to help us understand this moment. And so what we have, what is most likely here is Jesus using this brilliant uh, and common rabbi tactic of holding up the common wisdom and the common attitude 
and then breaking it down and critiquing it and showing why it is wrong. It feels out of place in the mouth of Jesus because it is. And Jesus is saying, and it's out of place in your mouth as well. So let's pause here for a moment. And let's mourn and grieve together over the tragedy of the shootings that took place in Atlanta this past week and the reality that six of the eight people who were murdered in those shootings were women of Asian descent. And let's acknowledge the reality that they were targeted because of that. Add into that the complications that come with what the shooter himself is saying about motivations that are all tangled up in uh, twisted religious thought and sexual exploitation. But do not let that distract from the reality of an escalating hatred and violence towards our Asian brothers and sisters. They saw this coming. They have sensed and experienced and seen the escalation of violence and abuse and attack against our Asian brothers and sisters. We have to be honest about the fact that rhetoric that is rooted in hate will always feed a hatred that will lead towards violence. Be honest about that and have no part in it. Have no part in it. Reject that and shut it down when you hear it. And the church needs to be at the forefront of saying that and of living that. In this moment, we have Jesus with these words in his mouth that seem out of place. And he's holding up a mirror to us. And he's saying, yeah, they're out of place. They're out of place for me and they're out of place for you. This is what it sounds like. And it's completely out of alignment with the kingdom of God. I think that's part of what is happening here. He's using this classic rabbi approach, holding up the common attitude, the common wisdom and inviting uh, and provoking a reexamination of that and using that to break it down and to help people see in a new way, critiquing the assumed wisdom and cutting through the assumed wisdom with this fresh re-examination. I think that's what is happening in this passage. And I think the rest of Jesus's ministry speaks into that and helps us to see that and to begin to untangle this. In provoking a counter perspective, he critiques his own students, the disciples, and he elevates the Canaanite woman as the one who has the understanding. 
He, he, he critiques his own students who, who have been with him, who should be the ones who grasp the understanding. And instead, he points to her and he calls her a woman of great faith. And he elevates her understanding and he says to them, she gets it. Hold that statement that Jesus makes of, her, of saying to her, you're a woman of great faith up against what he says to Peter after Peter sinks, after walking on water. What does he say to Peter? You of little faith. And he holds those two up against each other for us to see the difference. He is intentionally provoking this counter perspective, this new way of seeing, critiquing his own students and elevating her as the one who understands it. So we've now got to the fifth of the stories, okay? We, we started with John the Baptist and, and the tragic execution, uh, then Jesus feeding the 5,000, then Peter walking on the water with Jesus, then the Canaanite woman, the exchange there, and now we come to the, the last of the stories and we see how they are all actually connected together. Uh, the last and fifth story that we're looking at is the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And so that takes place in Matthew chapter 9, uh, in chapter 15, verses 29 through 39. We've already seen Jesus feeding 5,000 uh, in just the chapter before, and now he feeds 4,000. Uh, some scholars find the placement of this story confusing. Uh, they see, they feel like it's a contradiction, uh, and they wonder why they're telling s- two stories that are so similar to each other. And they wonder, um, it, maybe this is a retelling of the same event. Um, but I don't think so. And I think, um, that the research points instead to a different conclusion. Um, that these are two distinct events. And we know that because it, it tells us that they happen in two different locations. The feeding of the 5,000 happened in a Jewish area and among Jewish people. The feeding of the 4,000 takes place in a Gentile area. So those who are not Jewish uh, takes place in this Gentile area and it comes right on the heels of what we just saw happen with this discussion with the Canaanite woman. She says, that let us just have the crumbs from the table. And Jesus says, woman of great faith. And what does he do next? In this Gentile area, he says, no, listen, you are not on the outside of this. Instead, I am making a place for you at my table. And they also get to experience this abundance of this miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish, the same miracle that he performed for the Jewish people in that Jewish region. He's now performing for these Gentile people who had been seen as outsiders and this same abundance and overflow of his grace and mercy. In chapter 14, in the Jewish region, uh, we see that there were 12 basketfuls left over that were collected after the fact. And we make that immediate connection, just like this mostly Jewish audience would have made to the 12 tribes of Israel and that rich and long and deep history of the people of Israel that Jesus performed there in that Jewish region. And now what happens 
when he performs the same miracle, but in a Gentile region. There are seven baskets full left over. Now, is that intended to mean that, it, that it's less than the 12 and therefore these people are less in some way? No. The number seven in the Jewish mindset uh, was always connected with creation. It's connected with uh, the story of creation that we get in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and it's connected to this fulfillment uh, and this completion, but also of all of creation. And so this number that would have brought the creation story to mind for this primarily Jewish audience, they see Jesus performing the same miracle of overflow and abundance, and there are seven basketfuls left over. This is for all of creation. And now this story is shedding light on the story that came before it in this interaction with the Canaanite woman. She asked for crumbs from the table. Crumbs for the dogs is what she asked for. And Jesus in this miracle shatters all of those categories yet again. And he says, no, you are children and you have a seat with me and with my family here at this table. And I want you to share in this feast and to enjoy this multiplied goodness of God that is for you as well. This is the kind of king that he is. His reign and his kingship and his power, it looks like a feast where the tired and the hungry and those who have been pushed to the margins become the honored guests. We see that this points ahead to another meal that Jesus is preparing to bring us into where he's going to break bread again and he's going to bless the bread that he is breaking yet again. This story is preparing us for what is on the horizon and for what is swiftly coming at us, the table that we see coming into view, a feast that will not culminate in the head of his enemy on a platter. But instead, he's preparing us for a meal that's on the horizon that's going to point to his own body being broken and poured out to bring us into his kingdom come.
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hello, friends. In this upcoming season uh, that feels probably a little bit more exciting than we've had in a while with vaccines rolling out, uh, COVID numbers are going down, uh, things are starting to open back up. This is all so exciting. But also, we don't want to run past those that have been hurting this year, those that have been struggling, those that have had loss and grief. I want to let you know whether this is your church family and you've been with us for a long time or this is your very first time with us today, we want to be here with you. We want to walk with you through your tough times, through your struggles. This is an easy way to reach out to us. You can go to lovechapelhill.com right on the main page. It says prayer and chat. Fill that out. Let us know how we can pray with you, how we can be with you, how we can help you. But we want to be there for you. If everyone doesn't mind, as we close in prayer today, we're going to say a prayer for those that are struggling. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, you are the risen Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, and Everlasting Counselor. Grant us peace of mind and help our hearts to not be troubled during these difficult and uncertain times. Give us the strength and grace to trust you even when we cannot see the way. Remind us that you will never let us go and that you will always hold on to your everlasting arms of love. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You are not alone and you are definitely loved. Mm -hmm.